Collaboration, autonomy and the removal of walls. Does it really work in the classroom? Hello, I'm Colin Klupik and you're listening to Learning Capacity. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast. If you'd like to know more about LearnFast and individualised language and reading programs for your child, visit learnfasthome.com.au. And we're always keen to hear what you think. Send your emails to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au. Brad Fuller and Peter Orenstein are music educators at Northern Beaches Christian School on the North Shore of Sydney. Together they run a unique music program that seeks to provide a rich environment for music students which is built on a collaborative model of teaching and leadership. Inspired by their unique talents, they benefit from their experiences as musicians to experiment with new ideas. Whilst there is a curriculum to deliver, the spirit of improvisation is strong in the way it's taught. There's also an emphasis on what they call a bi-directional model of leadership within the faculty, allowing for the free flow of ideas between them and the students who learn there. In this episode, Brad and Peter give us an insight into their creative and collaborative space. This interview is recorded in person, on site, where all the magic happens. Listeners, I'm joined today by Brad Fuller and Peter Orenstein, who are music educators at Northern Beaches Christian School. We're going to talk about collaborative teaching models today. And Brad, if I could just start you off, you have a... um, an interesting hierarchy or structure, as you like to describe it. Can you walk us through that? Yes, our school specialises in making up special names uh, because we believe in the power of words to shape uh, young minds. So my official title at the school is Learning Leader. And I think in other schools I would be known as a head of a department Mm -hmm. or head of faculty or maybe even leading teacher or something like that. Yeah. Uh, But here I'm just a learning leader. Uh, And then I'm joined in my faculty, uh, which we don't call faculty, but I'll I'll let him describe that to you, uh, by my young colleague Peter Orenstein. And uh, so we are a faculty, except we don't call it a faculty. So you you said that, well, you're just a learning leader. So I, I suspect you're probably just being a little bit overly modest. So if I'll just bring Peter into the conversation here, if... Brad is just a learning leader. What does that make you? Just an easy teacher. <laughs> just <laughs> a very simple answer to a very simple question. So you've got a, a specific relationship that you that you have here in the way that you work, which you reckon is pretty special. Do you do you have to work a lot with the the organisation in the way that other faculties work, or, or do you have some sort of autonomy and independence? Peter, can I ask you that question? Yeah, I'd say definitely we're we're given autonomy. Um, although there are um, strategies or focuses that are driven above us from the strategic apex. But I think to a certain degree, day to day, we have autonomy over our space, over the way we interact and the way we go about our day. So the, the hierarchy above you doesn't determine how you guys need to function as a team? You've, you've got some freedom there? Indeed. Uh the organisation has asked for teachers to explore a collaborative model of teaching within faculties and across faculties. And so it's up to each learning leader to take that overarching concept of collaboration and to apply it to their particular context. So why collaboration? I mean, we hear that word a lot, but why that one? I guess it's been... for The easy answer is it's been mandated... From above, so someone's told you to be collaborative. There you shall, therefore you shall be correct. 
Uh, ironic, huh? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if there was much collaboration that went into that. Yeah. But Let's work as a team and do it my way. Yeah. So the good news is that that suits us perfectly uh, because I've been teaching in classrooms for 20 years. I've been a musician for 30 years. And Peter hasn't. How long have you been? This is my fourth year, yeah. So coming in in your fourth year, now you're being told that you need to work collaboratively. Is this something new to you? Is this something that was uh, talked about a lot in your pre-service training? No. In fact, uh, you were taught to be the central figure of authority in a space. And that was, that was largely what classroom management, so to speak, was all about. Well, I, I find that unusual because... Brad and I have have worked together before. I'll just disclose that to our listeners. I think we've disclosed that before on the show, haven't we? We have, which yeah. we should also disclose. <laughs> yes, there are other episodes that you can check out. Um, we've been talking about collaboration for a number of years now. Gosh, it's got to be going back at least five, six, or maybe even well, how many years could it be? No, at least five, right? Mm. You're telling me that you're coming into your fourth year, but this is new for you. It was new for me and until four years ago. Right. Well, that's unusual, isn't it? So... Well, I think teaching traditionally has been about go to your room, close the door and draw the blinds, particularly if you're showing a film. Or having uh, a lockdown drill. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Um, So I think, uh, I don't think teachers uh, are the most suited to this, and and nor do they have a a history of working collaboratively. Uh, It tends, I think teaching as a profession has been quite an isolated uh, run your own small business sort of affair. So you, are you suggesting institutionalisation there? Yes, I am. That's fairly controversial. Are, are you fairly confident of that view yourself? Oh, I think I've worked in enough systems and schools to say that that uh, historically has been the norm. But I think in the 2000s, uh, we've seen the wider world has embraced collaboration, uh, industry and or particularly in industry. Uh, and so... I think you'd be burying your head in the sand if, uh, if school teachers weren't thinking, gee, I wonder if there's something in this collaborative model for us. And so we, we had the perfect storm here at, at the school where Pete and I were both new to the school. Uh, and as we've talked about on previous shows, we've designed a collaborative space. And within uh, having designed a collaborative space, we needed to design new curriculum. So essentially it was a fresh start. So we went about, once we designed the space, uh, we had to design curriculum. So we thought, let's design it together. And so we had to do all sorts of, um, I guess, re-engineering of the school environment to enable us to collaborate, which I guess will unfold as we go along. Yeah, so Peter, coming into this as a, I guess we could still call call you a, a recent graduate, only four, only four years in, being presented with the uh, the task of um, designing a space and then thinking about how you're going to work as you as you design the space and or as you go, did that kind of freak you out a little bit? Yes and no. I, I think if you have experiences in improvisation, then you're used to having that feeling of. Uh, chucked in the deep end, but continuing, continuing to be focused and, and be on the fly. And so I was, I, w- I wouldn't say I was scared, but I, I just was direction, directionless. I didn't have any person, so to speak, to give me 
an idea of what that looked like in pragmatic terms. So, but you feel confident or let's say, let's not use the word confident, let's say more comfortable because of your uh, improvisational experimentation, I guess, in the, in the, in the music field. So the, the whole idea of stepping into the unknown was, wasn't that scary until, of course, you turned up and there are students outside all expecting you to do something fairly predictable. Yes. Do you, in your conversations with other teachers, find that you are better positioned in that space because of your improvisational skills? I mean, do you think that would go as well if you were uh, a history teacher, for example? I'm not sure about the history teacher argument. Well, you could pick another subject if you yeah. like. I just, <laughs> I, do, I, I just didn't want to pick maths because everybody, yeah. <laughs> everybody picks maths and English. So I'm thinking there's got to be another subject to talk about. I'm, I'm sure in other domains there's, there's different skill sets which are valuable, but I think musicians have definitely, who, who improvise, have definitely a different view on diff- on situations that are presented to them, I, I really think it's a transferable skill that's very va- valuable for teaching and for other things in life as well. And do you feel like you've grown into this now? Yeah, I think I think over the last few years, um, each year, I feel like I know more about uh, pedagogy, how to work with professionals, and also um, Brad's exposed me to different ideas which are controversial I'm sure you've been talking about them but um, yeah which you weren't exposed to at university but as you go into the professional sphere you, you now are allowed to go for it and so controversial ideas that you don't hear about at university over to you Brad Fuller I believe that's your idea it is indeed <laughs> so I think uh, once we once we realized uh, once the school realized that collaboration was the way forward, uh, we had to we had to implement mechanisms that would allow that. So, from a physical perspective, uh, in order for so I, I think lots of schools in lots of schools teachers collaborate outside of the classroom on curriculum. You might work together with a colleague on a program for Year Seven, for example. Mm. But then you would go away and teach that individually and you would mark it in your register so you could make sure that everyone was keeping up and all of that sort of thing. So we thought, what if we taught the same thing at the same time in the same space? So that meant that we had to remodel our music space and instead of two traditional classrooms, uh, we took the wall out uh, and took the desks out and made one open plan large space to accommodate 60 students. So that meant that we could then plan for the classes collaboratively, but then be in the same room at the same time. Uh, and I think that's that's the revolutionary idea uh, that some schools are, are beginning to embrace. More from my discussion with Brad and Peter coming up. You can subscribe to this podcast for free. You can visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast where you'll find the appropriate links to get the apps for your Apple or Android smart device, be that a phone or a tablet. And if you're interested in more conversations that I've had with Brad, you can look up episodes 16 and 19. Once again, that's soundcloud.com slash learnfast. Yeah, now they, they are starting to do that, and I hear of that quite a bit. You've had a couple of years' experience with that now. 
Some people do, in fact, find that very controversial. You hear the classic arguments of how could you concentrate, how, how could you keep track of what's going on. A couple of years in, what do you think? Uh, I think once you've ripped out the wall, everything changes. <laughs> and I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, it means that the chalk and talk just doesn't work anymore. And when you have two people in a room, if one person is chalking and talking, then the other person is what we call, well, we have no, a number of names for that other person, but essentially they're a shusher. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't well, think, that's right. I don't think any of us signed up to be a shusher. Well, that, that other person could only really be standing around somewhere, presumably at the back. Correct. Because you can't have two people at the front. Indeed. There can only be one. Yeah, and so that's a waste of resources. Sure. So then I think you need a much more dynamic classroom. So we have a dynamic classroom where both of us are engaged with students all the time. We have a range of mechanisms to allow that to happen. But the first thing that must go when the wall comes down is the chalk and talk. And so if you are trying to continue business as usual in a collaborative classroom, you'll hate it. So, Peter, you're not a shusher. No. You're not a chalk and talker. No. So you don't fit the standard model of a teacher. No. What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, I think a bit of uh, conditioning, that's what's wrong with me because I, I came in for my first year, maybe had six months of chalk and talk and then I met Brad. And um, from then I've been honing in my skill to not do that. Yeah, so Pete is essentially uh, one of my research Topics. He's a thesis. <laughs> He's a thesis, um, and and I am as well. I'm part of that thesis. So the thesis is, what would happen if uh, an older music teacher met up with a first year out music teacher and did everything together? So Pete, you're you're a bit like a lab rat. Mm. How do you feel about that? I guess I feel comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're a, you're a comfortable collaborative lab rat. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm the, okay with that. Well, the Sounds secret, okay to me. The secret there was, though, that we're both improvising musicians. And so, um, you know, getting back to that, one of, the, one of the definitions of improvisation is spontaneous composition or being able to create spontaneously in the moment. And so that's why I thought Pete and I were going to work well together because we were okay with being able to look at a situation and respond with, a, with some sort of creative... Uh, solution. And so um, I guess then the other thesis was what if I could teach Pete how to be a teacher without ever having to teach him anything? <laughs> so modeling. Yeah. So modeling and collaboration. So modeling is obviously a very important part of what you're, what you're talking about. I can, I can hear that yeah. in the description that you're giving. So I took early on, I took the, I, w I would take the lead wherever possible. And I would do a demonstration of how I thought something should be done. Uh, and then I wouldn't have, have to... I've never shown Pete how to do anything. Mm. Uh, and so he'd be doing whatever it was he was doing, but also uh, watching what I was doing. And so when it came time for me to move on to the next thing, I could feel confident that we... Pete had watched me, Pete had tried it. We then chatted about it and troubleshot it. And we templated, hadn't we? And then we could go, that's the way. And then we knew that we, our students would have a consistent, the most consistent experience 
because it didn't matter if it was Pete facilitating or me facilitating, they would get a standard experience. And that's really quite exciting, I think. So you were talking about working well together. Pete, if I can just ask you, is working well together something that can happen in a collaborative model just because it's collaborative? How much is personality involved in this? Mm, it's a good, good question. I think it doesn't matter with your personality. I think, uh, I think that's a widely perceived thought. But in fact, what, what we've done to move away from that thought is to structure everything about our collaboration. And so we have mechanisms, routines, and we've actually got checks and balances in place to help us be better workmates. So do you, those systems that you have in place, do you think they would help to complement any sort of personality deficiencies? I think so. That increase communication, uh, transparency, a whole bunch of factors which um, often don't get talked about in an open class um, space because you, you get tucked in and you want to teach the way you teach and often you don't get time or you don't think you have time to be on the same page as the other person. So, I mean, we all know that um, anyone who's ever been in a relationship and most people are in a relationship of sorts, it requires effort. Yeah. It requires a, quite a lot of work to keep the relationship going well. And I think the, the idea that just because you have a good relationship doesn't mean it's going to stay that way forever. So what I'm hearing here is that you see the value of those systems contributing to this idea of collaboration to, to keep this whole thing going. Yeah, I've, I have a history of teacher training I've been doing it for many years and what I've come to to know is that people have to be hungry and the reason I took this job was that I could see that, that Pete was hungry and wanted to be a, a great teacher and so do, so do I. And so I think that we want to come to work and do the best job for each other each day uh, because there's an underlying respect there Uh from the beginning and I think also we want to do a great job for our kids but that's not anything different about mm. us and Look, than any other teacher right I can hear true I can hear listeners already thinking I can hear them thinking mm. that's, that's, an, that's one of your skill sets well I've got a very powerful microphone and great headphones <laughs> I can already hear teachers thinking well hang on a second this all sounds great guys but at the end of the day someone's got to have the final word if a final word needs to be had Pete does that ever cause a problem for you not so much. I think we're a great team, and so rarely does does that final word come in 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 the sense of it's a negative thing. I think I look I look for feedback constantly from Brad because he's the mentor teacher. Um, yeah, but Brad tells me that the relationship is very much a bi directional one, mm. so it, it it cuts both ways. Do you do you get a true sense of that? Yeah, I think. I think what we've set up in those checks and balances is is the ability to offer feedback but also receive. And so at whatever point of authority uh, you are, you always have um, feedback coming to you and you're giving back feedback at the same time. Brad, do you find that this works equally well for you or do you sometimes feel the, the desire or maybe the temptation to say, oh, look, actually I'm in charge so I'm just going to push through on this? I think we've both come into this, sure, I've got a wealth of experience, but we're in a unique situation. No one's ever built a room like this and tried to teach the way we're teaching with the materials we're 
trying to teach with. So I think really we're not we're both novices and so I think this is as close to a clean slate for both of us as possible. I made a conscious decision when I came to bring as little with me as possible. So we really started with nothing and said, All right, let's make let's rethink music education from the ground up. And at the end of every lesson we always start with what went wrong? How can we fix it? Here's what we've learned. Yep. Uh, and I think that's a question. It's it's never me going to Pete saying, here's what I think you could improve. It's just about us coming to the table at the end of the lesson and going, what are we going to fix for next time? And making sure that it's fixed. And the way we've set our program up, we have multiple iterate, op- the option to iterate multiple times so that's that i think that's what drives us both we want to try something and we want to improve it until we think that is excellent uh and that's what drives both of us and so that bi-directional you know for both of us to just come at the end of the lesson and say what can we improve there so because we've got another group of kids that are about to come in and do that same lesson so how can we fix it on the fly being improvisers again so that we'll whatever we just learned from that class will improve in time for the next one and then we'll learn something else. Uh, I think that's really... And there's no hierarchy in that. It's just, I did my best, you did your best. What did we learn? Pete, looking forward, how do you find that? Does that excite you? Does that give you motivation and inspiration to keep coming back to the classroom, to, to think about how you can approach the unknown with a fresh start every day? I mean, that's what it sounds like. I think the fact that I've got autonomy in the sense of Brad trusts me with what my what I'm in control of, what our systems have allowed me to uh, specialise in, that, that gives me enough drive. And I don't feel like Brad's a, you know, a, a dictator over me. Um, I, we both have control over different parts of the system. Um, and so because I feel like I'm con- contributing to the whole, I feel like I'm offering what I can offer, then I feel valued. Sounds like a great model, guys. It's uh, been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to Learning Capacity, brought to you by LearnFast. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast for free. Search for Learning Capacity in iTunes, or you can visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast. Once again, if you'd like to know more about LearnFast, you can visit learnfasthome.com.au and send your feedback emails to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.